You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Couldn't have asked for a better song to proceed preaching the Word of God. That's why we're here, not to hear Ethan Klein, but to hear from the Lord. So we're asking tonight that the Lord would speak to us. So Galatians chapter 6. Just one note. um, How many of you are enjoying discipleship groups? You don't have to raise your hand, but just to get you thinking about it, I've, I've enjoyed just this, this one week, then week two for the Sunday group. This Wednesday will be the second week for the Wednesday groups. I'm enjoying it because just filling out an outline before, you know, maybe a few minutes before, we're, we have to be in the Word of God every day. And I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it and I hope to, to grow in that. So... If you would join me in Galatians chapter 6, we'll go ahead and read our first, our verses tonight. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. And the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, and the title of our message tonight, unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. I pray that we would all leave with something that you've taught us tonight. Father, help me to communicate clearly and these, these concepts that you've laid on my heart, this message that you've challenged me with through these last few weeks. And I pray that uh, your will would be done tonight. And in Jesus' name, Amen. Book of Galatians is actually one of my favorite books by Paul. I think because throughout my Christian life early on, I struggled with kind of wanting other Christians to do what I do. I was setting the, the um, example that everybody was supposed to follow, if you know what I mean. And that's called pride. But um, I read the book of Galatians and it just, it just struck right here give you some context about the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written by Paul to the churches of Galatia. Well, that's obvious. 
But the reason he wrote the book was to confront the sin of the legalistic Jews that were adding um, circumcision to the gospel. They were adding works to the gospel, and they were preaching to them another gospel. So these, these Galatians, young believers, the church had just gotten started in Acts, and um, so they were, they were taken, the, this church was taken over by Jewish people who were adding works to the gospel. And in Galatians 1, 6-9, it says, this is Paul speaking, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. Those who were troubling them were those Jewish, believe, or Jewish people that were adding works to salvation. And they were in would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we can be accursed, that word accursed is very strong. It pretty much means let utterly destroyed. Um, it's, it's not good. And so, and then Paul reiterates this in verse 9 as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So Paul is setting the stage here in chapter 1, how, how grievous a sin it was for these Jewish people to add circumcision works to the gospel. So in the end of verse uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 11 through 13, Paul goes, summary of why he wrote the book. Um, it says in verse 11, ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. So in other words, these Jewish believers or these Jewish people who were adding works to the law were not following the law themselves. So they were hypocrites. And that that really struck would do to others as well. So he reminds them and this is just setting the stage for our sermon tonight. He reminds them that they received the Spirit by faith, not by works. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ, Christ has, hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Obviously, we received salvation by the earn our salvation through doing works of the law. And he was reminding them of this. In chapter 1, he said, look, why are you, why are you going away from what I taught you? And then in chapter 3, he says, he reminded them that, hey, you received salvation through Christ alone. You didn't earn it. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
So tonight we're going to see a, a good, there, there's this battleground of the flesh and the spirit. And that's what we're going to see tonight. So in your outline, there should be an outline in your, your bulletin. The first point we're going to look at is the exhortation to restore Christians overtaken in a fault. So we know that this is written to Christians by the word brethren. This is an exhortation to restore Christians who have fallen into a sin, not one that is a hardened sinner who willingly chooses to remain there. So let's go ahead and read verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The word fault here means a falling away, a lapse, a slip, a false step, a trespass. The goal of restoration is to get them back to a right relationship with God. Unfortunately, in my own life, instead of helping a Christian who's in sin, I would tend to, you know, hurt our own, you know, beat them while they're down. And this is, this is totally going against that. Instead of having pride, we need to restore. And the word restore in this passage means to bring into its proper condition. So if you're a Christian, your proper condition now because of Jesus Christ is um, you are a new creature. Before salvation, all of us, however, because of Christ, we have a new proper condition. We are a new creature. Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but a new creature. So Paul is saying that the circumcision, it doesn't matter. If you're circumcised or you're not, it's because of Christ and you're a new creature in Christ. So when, and then 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are, are, are become new. So there, there is this exhortation to restore Christians overtaking a fault. But if you adjective describing the Christian, what's it say? It says spiritual. So my question for you is, when I was reading this, I'm like, okay, wait. Are there spiritual Christians and unspiritual Christians? There are. It wouldn't have said spiritual Christian if there weren't. And um, so we know that we can sometimes slip and commit a sin. That happens. When we are in this position, we need other Christians, spiritual Christians, to come along to help us to return us to our proper condition. In Galatians 5, 9, uh, 19 through 21, Paul refers to the works of the flesh. It appears that there were some that were in these sins, and we're going to talk about those in a minute. The Spirit, through Paul's writings here in Galatians 6, 1, exhorts us to restore Christians that are overtaken to the fault. Letter A in your outline, it says, Restoration is done by spiritual Christians. So we see here that the restoration of a brother or sister overtaken in a fault is done by spiritual Christians. Let's go ahead and in your Bible look at uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So let's go ahead and define a spiritual Christian. Spiritual Christian is this. 
Uh, verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And then let's look at verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And then verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. So let's go ahead and talk about what the spiritual Christian is like. It is one that walks in the Spirit, exhibits the fruits of the Spirit. The spiritual Christian is one that is not conceited or desirous of vainglory, does not provoke others, provoking one another, as we see in verse 26, and does not envy one another, envying one another. The reason spiritual Christians need to restore is because you are either spiritual or you are not. You are either walking in the flesh or you are not. There is not a, a little spirit and, and a little flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. If you're not walking in the spirit, you're not going to be able to restore Christian. Um, you have to be walking in the spirit to do this. So first, we see that restoration is done by spiritual Christians. Let's go to the second point, letter B. Restoration is done with gentleness. The word is gentleness. In our first verse here, it says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So this point builds on being a spiritual Christian. What's one of the fruits of the spirit? It's meekness. And... What a greater example than we have a meekness than um, I don't know how many of you were involved in small groups when we read Gentle and Lowly. I think that was a great study. And that's, that's the, uh, the idea here. The prime example is Jesus. He dealt with sinners in a very gentle way. The ones that we see him dealing with a little bit more harshly or direct were with the religious Pharisees and scribes. Remember the context of Galatians. There are legalists adding circumcision or being Jewish to the gospel. These were not gentle people. They were causing great burdens upon the Christians at Galatians. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Look upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest upon your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to talk a little bit more about these verses in our second point. Um, but Jesus is gentle, so we should be gentle with those that are we, we are helping to restore. Let's be patient with them. Let's not add conditions to the restoration. So let's say you have somebody come to you and says, Hey, brother, I've been in this sin. Sister, I've been in this sin. Well, I will, uh, I'll help you if... I'll help you if you do this. I'll help you if you do this or you look this way. We add, and 
Jesus just says, come. Jesus says, come to me, all ye that um, burden, have burdens. And that is what we're supposed to do when we're restoring a Christian. We're restoring a fellow brother. Because what's the point of when we have a fellow believer who, who's in sin to just beat them when they're down? We want them to be, we want them to be in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But too often in my life and in others I've seen, we just beat our brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen into a sin. And if we remember that in that place, and we're going to need help, we're going to need to be restored by somebody who is walking in the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby, uh, I really like his uh, B-series if you haven't read it. But he says, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. Let me repeat that. Nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalists treat those who have sinned. So you had these legalists in this church at Galatia, and they were saying, you need to do this, you need to do this, and then they themselves were not doing it. Let us not add conditions to people. Let's be gentle with them. Jesus says, come to me. Are we saying the same to those that need to be restored? Think of somebody in your life who's away from the Lord right now. What would be your first reaction if they came to you? Would you, I'm here. What can we do? Would you share with them scripture? Would you help them restore them? There's been times in my life where I'm like, you know what? They've chosen their way. They can just, they can live in it. I'm, I'm so grateful for the, uh, the example of the prodigal son. What'd the father do? Come, kill the fatty calf. He's home. Let's celebrate. But too often in my life, I've not done that. I've not done that to uh, fellow uh, members of my family, siblings, cousins, um, I just beat them while they're down. And the Bible says that we need to restore them. We need to restore them to their proper condition. So let's look at a third point of how we're supposed to go about this restoration of our, our fellow believers. Restoration is done with watchfulness. Um, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And then look at this, these phrases here. Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. The word considering here means to look upon. Restoring a fellow believer can present temptation to the one helping with restoration. We must also be on watch and guard ourselves against temptation. Matthew twenty six forty one says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We must never believe that we are above falling into sin. We must always have a humble spirit when restoring a fellow believer. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I bring this up because we have, we're starting to have these discipleship groups. <clears throat> and part of our discipleship groups is accountability. Your discipleship groups ask your fellow <clears throat> group members or your group leader, to hold you accountable to something. Hey, on a weekly basis, can you ask me 
this question. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Is there a sin that you've given into? And the other group members might hear things that, do you hear so-and-so? And I'm not saying this is a problem in our church, but there's a temptation there that I can't believe they do that. This verse right here says, Consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. We must never believe that we're above falling into a sin that we're helping another Christian come back from. And so we need to restore uh, with watchfulness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's go to our next exhortation we find in verses 2 through 5. The exhortation to bear one another's burdens. So let's go ahead and read verse, verses 2 through 5. It says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his So in the first point, we saw that spiritual Christians were tasked with restoration of a Christian overtaken in a fault. Now, you might be wondering, what's what's the difference between the first verse and the second verse? Well, the first first verse is specifically talking about a Christian who is overtaken in a sin burden. Um, So it is a form of burden bearing, but this exhortation, however, seems more general in nature. The word burden means weight, and I want to show you an example from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that, that, that um, uh, the writer of Hebrews differentiates a weight. So Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lie, uh, lay aside every weight, which verse 2 is talking about weight, it's a burden, and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So being overtaken in a sin is definitely a weight, but other things in life weigh us down. You have anything weighing you down right now? 2020, 2021, 2022, a lot of, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of people have lost loved ones. I lost my brother in 2021. I know many of you are dealing with illness or long-term. We have a lot of, of weight we're carrying around. And that's why it's so imperative to follow this, this command from Scripture, is to bear one another's burdens. We need each other, church. We need each other, and um, I do. I know when uh, you know my brother passed away. Many of you sent me cards. We got meals uh, when Khalees was born. I'm I'm famous for Khalees. <laughs> I'm Khalees's dad. My name's not Ethan anymore. I'm just Khalees's dad. So, but you know, people brought us meals. Um, this church has just been so good to us. People. Uh, bore our burdens. And that's what we're supposed to do. And so 
we have sickness, worry, depression, loss, you name it. We, have, we all have burdens. If you don't, you will. I'm sorry to say that. You just will. But in these next four verses, we will see truths about burden bearing. And um, I think this, this first point, burden bearing is a fulfillment of Christ's law. And I think this is the strongest reason why we need to do it. Because Christ commands it. The law of Christ is. Jesus says in John 13, uh, 34 through 35, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. So verse 2 in our text, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, in the context of our book, Galatians 5.14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Romans 13.8 says, Oh, another one of Paul's writings says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth, loveth another hath fulfilled. We could search the Bible for other examples of this, but the law of Christ is this. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Jesus Christ is the ultimate burden bearer. We quoted Matthew eleven twenty eight in the first point, and I said we return to it, so here we are. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon uh, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest upon your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, don't, I think probably most of you have heard what a yoke is. Um, all you farmers out there know better than I do, but animals that are yoked together, they're working together. Can you just see the imagery that we're, we're, we're yoked with Christ and he's helping us carry these burdens? So Jesus yokes himself to us. He helps carry our burden and we are commanded to carry the burdens of others. Um, he bore the sins of the wor uh, whole world. And as Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him. He bore our sins and continually bears our burdens with joy. Why? The law of Christ, because he loves us. When we bear the burdens of others, we are fulfilling his law. Are we bearing the burdens of others and are we doing it with joy? Um, I think Hebrews chapter 12, just to wonder, for the joy that was set, what kind of joy is that? I mean, he, he had to die on the cross for our sins, but with joy, he did it. Um, so being a burden bearer, which we're commanded to do, is a fulfillment of Christ's law, which is to love your neighbor. So the next way we're supposed to... Um, we're going to talk about the next. It says, burden bearing is hindered, letter B, hindered by pride and lateral comparison. Now, somebody was joking with me. They didn't know what the word lateral was. So I'll go ahead and talk about this. Um, I'm a computer nerd. We use the term lateral all the time. So I picked it. But what, what I'm talking about here is horizontal comparison. You know, I'm comparing myself to this person or this person. But really... We're supposed to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And that's what these Jewish people who were troubling this church were doing. Well, you're not doing this. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. You don't look this way. They were having this lateral comparison. 
So this is where we go wrong with burden bearing. When a brother or sister is in a vulnerable spot, there may be temptation to be prideful when dealing with them or to compare themselves with them. This may be the case if we are dealing with a bearing a sin burden that somebody has. Um, I want you to flip over to Luke chapter 18. And if you're following along with our reading plan, you would have read this uh, recently. So Luke chapter 18. And I want to show you a good example of a, a person uh, who had this lateral comparison. This is a great illustration. Let's, uh, Luke 18, verse 9. And he spake this parable, so Jesus is talking, uh, unto, uh, uh, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a tax collector. He stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice uh, in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto the heaven, but smote upon his breast and saying, God, so this man is prostrate. And he's just, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every man that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So verse 3, back in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So this Pharisee was comparing himself with the publican, which is his tax collector. The, the Pharisee was prideful. And um, have you ever done that? I have. I've done that. I know I do sometimes and certainly have done many times in the past. Why? Why do we do this? Um, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that we need to prove our own worth. And he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. What is this referring to? It refers to verse 3 that says we may be deceived into thinking that we are something. The word prove means to test or examine. So what, is this say, what this is saying is that we should examine our motives. Look at the latter part of the verse. It says that we should rejoice in ourselves and not in another. So back to our question, why do we have pride and compare ourselves to others? So let's look at Galatians 6 verse 11. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. There it is. That's the reason why we do it. That's the reason why when we are bearing the burdens of others, we're hindered by pride and comparing ourselves because we have a desire to glory in, in, your, in their flesh. Well, 
I'm bearing their burden. So look at me. I'm doing such a good job. And, but what did Paul say in verse 14? God forbid that I should glory, save, or except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So these Jewish people were that troubled them were adding works to the works to salvation. They were glorying in these Galatians' flesh. Look what I can make them do. And they had they had this pride, but Paul, and this should be a prayer of all of us. I should the cross of Jesus Christ. So our burden bearing, somebody comes to you with a burden and you are comparing yourselves with them. I'm better than this person. I have pride. I'm restoring them. Let us just take a step back and remember why we're doing it. We're supposed to glory in the cross of Christ. Christians, when bearing the burden of others, please let us not glory in our flesh or the flesh of others. Let us glory in the cross of Christ. Let's look at a third point about burden-bearing. Burden-bearing is an accountable work before God. Verse 5 says, For every man shall bear his own burden. I'm not going to lie, when I was studying for this, I read verse... Well, that's, that's bad to say. I'm not going to lie. I'm not lying at all. <laughs> but um, what does this mean? It's like, didn't, didn't they just say that you're supposed to bear one another's burdens, but it says in verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. What, what's up with this? So I thought Paul said, well, burden bearing is a commandment for Christians to go out. Go out and look for those that you can help. But what this isn't saying is if you have burdens, expect other Christians to bear them for you. There's a difference. So I go out, these aisles, and I go find somebody who has a bunch of burdens, and I said, hey, how can I help you? Can I pray for you? Do you have a physical need? What can I do for you? It's, it's, it's when the opposite is, I have all these burdens, and I'm just going to lay them on everybody and expect everybody to bear all my burdens all the time. Ultimately, we as Christians are responsible for our burdens before the Lord. We're supposed to cast them upon Him. He says He's going to carry our load. So it's not a commandment for Christians to unload their burdens on others. Ultimately, we are responsible. It is wrong, however, to expect other Christians to bear your load. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So let this verse sober and humble us to ensure that we are ultimately giving our burdens and the burdens of others over to the Lord because we will be accountable for how we handled our own burdens and the burdens of others. So, for every man shall bear his own burden. So let's go on to the next exhortation we see in this chapter. The exhortation, uh, number three, the exhortation to sow to the Spirit. I don't know if, if, if you're like me, I grew up <clears throat> hearing this 
this uh, type of sermon all the time where reap what you sow. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it's almost been the context of prosperity gospel, even in, even, in good, even in good churches, where you give this amount of money, God's going to restore you this amount of money. Okay, well, there's nothing mentioned here about money. It's talking about reaping to the flesh or reaping to the spirit. And we'll go ahead and get into that. So let's read verse 6. It says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we, there, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So throughout the book, we've seen that Paul has given a contrast between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. So the Jewish people that troubled the Galatians were adding the law to what was spiritual. They were adding the works of the flesh to the gospel. So in the remainder of our time, we're going to look at three ways in which we can sow to the Spirit. So, letter A, so meeting the needs of your spiritual leaders. Um, a lot of times pastors usually don't get up and like to preach things like that, so it's good for somebody else who's not a pastor to come up and say these things. Um, I'm so grateful for the pastors we have here. Um, Pastor Snow, just pray for him. He's in Atlanta. I think he's probably coming back soon. But uh, our pastors are faithful. They're here. They're uh, faithfully serving the Lord. And in verse 6, it says here, it says, Let him that is taught in the word, so us, you're being taught in the word, communicate, and the word communicate means to believe, unto him that teacheth, in all good things. So the word communicate means to share, contribute, and part. So this verse is teaching us to contribute good things to those who teach you the word of God. I believe fully in taking care of the physical needs of the pastors, and Paul speaks about this in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians. 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted, counted worthy of double honor especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And then 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, Even that which preached the gospel should live of the gospel. Let's go back to the first Timothy. So you have this, you have this illustration of an ox. Um, any farmers in here use oxes anymore to plow your fields? No, um, you know, we might see Amish out doing that still today where they're having an animal pulling a plow. So this illustration is, okay, you have this animal working for you or doing something uh, good for you, but I'm not going to feed him. I'm just going to let him starve. Eventually he's going to die or he's going to, uh, I don't know, move on to better things in life if he but do you see the, see the illustration here? 
So you have, you have your pastor, they faithfully get up, they study, they faithfully get up and give you the Word of God, better than I probably am. But they do this every week. They study faithfully. I mean, it, it takes a long time to, to study and faithfully preach the Word of God. And you have a pastor getting up every Sunday, Sunday night, and he's doing that. And I'm, I'm grateful for our church. We do take care of, care of our pastors. Um, but I would say communicating good things to them or giving them good things, it's not just talking about physical needs. Pastors have a great spiritual burden as well. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We should be praying for them that the Lord would do his will in them. Hebrews 13, 7, 17 through 18 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or their conduct. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief. For you. Pray for us. There's another uh, request from, uh, from this writer of Hebrews. Pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. We should be praying for them that they would stand against spiritual temptation between 2020 and 2022, we've seen a lot of pastors fall out of the ministry. And I believe that's why pastor is doing this ministry, to be a minister to these pastors. Because there's a lot of things they go through that we don't see. They deal with, they deal with things that we, we can't imagine as if you've never been in that role. And so we should be praying with, for them that they would stand against spiritual temptation. Pastor told me something that was really sad. <clears throat> there are some pastors who are so done with the ministry, the only way they can get out is to commit a, a sin so grievous that just disqualifies them. What if we just ramped up our prayers for them? Just ask them, hey, is there a specific way I can pray for you? Are you all under a lot of burdens? We know it. We know our pastors are. Um, we need to pray for them to have a good conscience, to discern what is the good, to live honestly. Um, so we just talked about bearing burden. In our previous section: Are you seeking ways to bear the burdens of your spiritual leaders? Do they have specific prayer needs, physical needs? And this struck me when I was studying this. Are you the type of church mem member that is adding unnecessary burdens to your pastors? Or are you helping them? The verses we just read in Hebrews says that your pastors will give account on your behalf. Make sure they can do that with joy, not with grief, because it says that is unprofitable for you. So sowing to the Spirit by taking care of your spiritual leaders. Let me leave this illustration with you. Um, I've had surgery once in my life, I think 2006. I don't never want to. What if your surgeon uh, worked for free? Uh, just, they don't pay him. They don't take care of anything. They works for free. But he has to have a side job. And 
you know, he works a lot of hours to, to do that. Do you want that guy operating on you? It's not going to be much use. And that's, that's kind, of the, um, kind of the spirit here that we want our pastors to be in a place where they can take care of you, preach what you need. And um, that's why if we can bear the load of our pastors it will um, it'll be it'll be more profitable for us. So let's sow to the Spirit by taking care of our pastors, because in turn we receive the benefits of them watching over our souls. Let's move on. Letter B says, "Sow to the Spirit to reap spiritual benefits." I mentioned before that the principles of sowing and reaping aren't necessarily if I give this amount of money, I'm going to get this tenfold back. Um, I want to point out that these two verses clearly teach. So uh, verse 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Teaching a prosperity gospel. They are teaching that when you sow to the Spirit, such as, our disciplines that we're going through. When you read the Bible, when you memorize Scripture, you lead souls to Christ, you pray, you do good to others, you will reap spiritual benefits. But if you sow to the flesh, which we read some of these verses, actually we didn't, so uh, verse uh, 519 of Galatians, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, and it goes on and so forth you will reap corruption. We should keep our focus on the kingdom of Christ and not on accumulating the treasures and earth. What we do for Christ will last. Let's look at the contrast in verse um, 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption or decay or uh, temper things or things that will, um, they will fade but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Pastor Dave preached on this this morning. Life everlasting starts now. If you're saved, it starts now. Not only will you reap spiritual benefits here right now, some of the, some of the rewards you won't see until heaven, where God says, hopefully, when I, hopefully I'll hear thou good and faithful. Um, so Matthew six nineteen through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So is your, is your heart on life everlasting, the things that will not fade away? Or is your heart, are you sowing to things that they're just gonna, they're gonna go away or they're gonna cause harm to you? So the Jews at Galatia were at the gospel, but the gospel is Christ alone. There will be many who reap to the flesh, even seemingly in his name, but truly did not know him. And I hope this isn't true of any of us. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So we have the contrast here. Are you starting? Or are you reaping iniquity? And um, so here's an exhortation here to sow to the Spirit. And then let's look at letter C, and then our time is done. <clears throat> sow to the Spirit unwearingly to do good to all men. Do you ever get tired of doing good? Did it just... Like, this isn't worth it anymore. I don't, I don't really do good. I don't see the results of it. No one cares. I've been there. I've been apathetic. It's like, what's, what's the point of this? What, why, why am I doing good to these people who don't even either reciprocate or care? Or um, That's just apath- that's apathy, and that's not, that's not good. But this is a command here. This is an exhortation. It says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I would say I get tired of doing it because sometimes I don't see results. Well, I went to the gym the first week of January. haven't dropped my weight. Back to going to Dunkin' Donuts. We don't see results of the harvest. Lord, I've been sowing in your spirit, but I don't see what you're doing. It's just not worth it. Have you ever been there? Are you there right now? It's just not good. Why do I come to church? Why do I pray? Why am I doing this discipleship group? I'm never going to see the benefits of it. We've all had that ap- apathy in our life that no one cares, but Paul admonishes them to keep to keep going. He admonishes us to keep going. He says that you will reap in due season. Now that season, it's hard to tell you, but that season may not be till we see the Lord. We may not see exactly the, the benefits that we have from sowing to the Spirit. But let me remind you, if his word says that we will sow, that we will reap in due season, it's going to happen. Because his word's true. It always doesn't return void. It's true. It's going to happen. So Christians, let's keep doing good to all people, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's end our time tonight in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read a lot of verses, but these verses are just... These verses are beautiful, in my opinion, because I think they're a good summary of our sermon tonight. Romans 12, and let's begin in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, or if you could say it another way, let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, 
fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Okay, so that was referring a lot to our our brothers and sisters. What's this next one say? Bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That, you know, burden bearing. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap uh, uh, coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So we saw tonight that we're supposed to restore Christians who have been overtaken or fault. We saw tonight that we need to bear the burdens of others. And we saw tonight that we need to sow to the Spirit. And jump back over to Galatians. I have one more thought here. Let's look at verse, um, let's look at verse 17. From henceforth, let no I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your, be with your spirit. Amen. So the title of our sermon tonight was supposed to be do good, but it's doing good. Are you doing good, Christian? It's worth it. Keep going. Do good. Bear the burdens of, of other people. And I think, I think our church will be even a better place if we all follow this thing, if we all follow these principles. Let's pray.